0: So, with that said, let's pray and we'll get into the Word of God. Father, we uh, just continue to be awed by your provision in every big thing and every little thing. Lord, there are so many ways you provide just our daily bread that go unnoticed by us. There are things that, that happen or don't happen because of your provision and protection. And right now, Lord, we want to acknowledge even the unseen things that you do for us. The things we are clueless about, the way you serve us, the way you minister to us, the way you love us, the way you desire to give good gifts to your children. Father, I pray we would not be spoiled children. I pray that we would appreciate with gratitude every little thing and every big thing all the same. Wonderful are the blessings of being a child of of yours. I pray, Lord, that that your children would now turn their ears and hearts to you, uh, to hear from you, that you would speak to us so that you might um, conform us more into the image of Jesus and to equip us for ministry. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right. Matthew chapter 20. As I said, the biography of the king, Matthew. uh, We are getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem, uh, to the crucifixion and uh, to the resurrection, of course. And I think what we are noticing, and I hope what you are noticing, what I am noticing, is that the kingdom of God operates completely differently from the world. And sometimes I tell people, you can you can usually tell what to do by looking at what the world does and then just do the opposite. Because that's usually what God wants, is <laughs> the opposite. So if, Even if you didn't know God, you say, what is acceptable? What is normal in the world? Well, then just do the opposite. And you'll probably be pretty close to the heart of God in that. And so we've talked about, uh, we've, we've watched the disciples struggle with the same things that we struggle with. Desires for Greatness. You know, who's going to be the greatest, desires to be noticed, and and those types of things. So, uh, chapter 20, uh, well, actually, back in chapter 19, we we saw the rich young ruler. Uh, The question was asked, hey, we've followed you, we've left all to follow you, now what's in it for us? What are we going to get out of that? And Jesus tells the parable of the workers paid equally, or I would say the parable of... uh, Maybe the parable of the generous or the gracious vineyard owner. And that was the point of that. God's rewards are not based on your labors strictly. He'll always give you at least what you deserve for the labor you give, for the sacrifices you've made. You'll never say, I got ripped off. But oftentimes, God in His grace chooses to give you more than you deserve. And that's the point of that parable is God is gracious and he rewards men based on his goodness, not their goodness. Does that make sense? So that was the parable. And, and uh, so now they're heading to Jerusalem. Verse 17 says, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples aside on the road. And that's important. When you take when you take your kids aside, you know they're all playing or they're with a group of other kids, and you want to tell them something and you want them to hear it, you take them aside. It's like, okay, boys, I need you to focus for a second. We have some really important things to talk about, and I need your full attention. And so he takes them aside on the road, and he says to them, verse eighteen: Behold, guys, take a look. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Now this is the third time he's told them this. And of course, like any good parent or like any good teacher, repetition, repetition, repetition. And so he's trying to get this into them. And they're not getting it at all. Their minds are set on an earthly kingdom. He's talking about the thrones they're going to sit on as their reward. And they're thinking, yeah, thrones. They don't realize there's going to be a whole lot between them and these thrones. A whole lot of suffering. A whole lot of difficulty. And so they're thinking thrones. They're thinking Jerusalem. What better place to crown a king the king of the Jews, then in Jerusalem. And truly, he will be crowned there. But the crown will be of thorns, not of gold, as they're expecting. So he's telling to them, look, guys, we're going up to Jerusalem. And here's what's going to happen there. Uh, not that I'm going to be crowned now, but I'm going to be betrayed now. Have you ever been betrayed? You ever had a close friend sell you out? That's painful, isn't it? Now, Jesus knows ahead of time, this has all been written already. There's nothing new to God. It's it's all a matter of history to him, but it's future history at this point. Jesus knows what he's facing. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. But not only betrayed, I'm going to be given into the the hands of the chief priests and the scribe, the Jewish religious leaders, and surely they'll sit down and they'll want to know what I have to say about the kingdom. That's what I'm going to be going to be betrayed, given to them so I can teach them. No. They're going to condemn him to death. The Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, they're going to uh, pronounce the death sentence for him. But they can't carry it out themselves. So they're going to condemn him to death, but then they're going to have to deliver him over to the Romans, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And it gets worse, they're going to mock him. This is God in the flesh. This is the the incarnate God coming to his creation. And look at the way his creation treats him. Look at the way the people he's made are dealing with him. Mocking him. His own people. Again, you've been betrayed. Have you been mocked? Anybody ever teased you? It, it, we have all this bullying stuff in high school that's going around. And, and a lot of talk about that. And what Jesus understands that. He understands what it's like to be teased and mocked and bullied. And punched and have his hair torn out. And and they're going to mock him. They're going to scourge him. And I'm not going to get into details on this. This is the cat of nine tails. Where the the, uh, leather whip would have bone or glass in the end of it. And it would tear into a person. Uh, he, He would be scourged. And then ultimately he would be crucified. And he knows all this. He says it. This is where I'm going. This is what's happening. And he never tells them that without the last part and the third day he will rise again guys the third day then now luke matthew doesn't tell us but luke tells us they didn't have a clue what he was talking about they didn't understand this at all they they missed it and i don't know if it's because they were so focused on what they thought it was going to be you ever had you have an expectation and so every all of your thoughts are are Looking at a thing a certain way because of the expectation and then you completely miss what was really going on Because you were so focused on what you thought it was going to be and they're sort of missing it Now if i'm jesus, I know what I would say to this. I know where i'm going. I know it's going to happen there I'm thinking let's not go. I mean if i'm going to be betrayed and scourged and mocked and crucified You know what's on tv i'm staying home Which is exactly what peter said to him, right just a couple chapters ago chapter 16 Peter said it'll never happen to you and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You see, because here's the thing about Jesus. God's will being was more important to him than his well-being. God's will coming to pass and through his ultimate obedience was much more of much more value to him than his own self-preservation or his own well-being. And there are times where we have to make that choice, aren't there? What do I want more? Do I want my preservation, my well-being, or I, do I want God's will to come into being? If I want God's will come, to come into being, sometimes I, I have to obey him. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul, who was also heading up to Jerusalem, just very much like Christ in the book of Acts. And they told him, Paul, you're going to get in trouble there. And he said, it doesn't matter to me. I don't even count my life dear to me. I'm going up anyway. That's powerful. Paul was a dead man. Jesus was already, he'd already died to himself. So, but again, you know, and I don't know, you know, having to face this, knowing that the third day you're going to rise again, because you know that, you go through something hard, you know that God is with you, and in the end of it, it's going to be okay. That after crucifixion comes resurrection. But that doesn't always make it easier. Well, it will be easy to go through this if I knew I was going to rise again. No, it wouldn't be. Tremendously difficult. So verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her son. So the, the three of them come together, and they kneel and, she, and she's kneeling down and asking something from him. So she comes to Jesus, and she worships, him she bows down to him. Uh, to worship just means to bow and kiss the hand. That's literally what the word Worship means, and so she's coming just like a a servant would come and bow before uh, a ruler or a king. So she bows down to him because she and in this case especially she's buttering him up. She's what you could say, you know, kissing up. She's worshiping because she wants something from him, and it's not something she wants for herself. It's for her boys, really. We'll see that in a minute. But some of us do that sometimes. We come to church because there's something, or we do something a little extra special because. Well, we want God to do something, and I've applied for that job. And, you know, I better pray now, or I better study now so that God blesses me with that job. And we worship him sometimes because of what we're going to get out of it materially or or something. We want our will to be done. And we have to be careful of that. Why do we worship God? Because he's awesome. Because he's sovereign. Because he's powerful. Because he's omniscient. Because he's the creator. Those are the reasons we worship him. Because he is who he is who he is. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. But she comes, and I understand where she's coming from. I mean, we, God tells us to, to ask. You know, you have not because you ask not, James said. So she comes bowing down. So it's Zebedee's, uh, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, if you follow this out through, through the other Gospels, we find out that this is a woman named Salome. And another Gospel writer tells us she happens to be the sister of Mary. The mother of Jesus. So that makes Jesus. And and her son's names are James and John. Sons of thunder. A couple of fishermen. And so that makes Jesus and James and John all cousins. You learned something new today. They're cousins. So it may be that's part of the reason she's coming to him. So he says to her, what do you wish? What do you want, Salome? So she said to him. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Hey, Jesus. Now remember, family, right? Blood is thicker than water, you know. We're, we're compadres, we're fam- mi familia. These two sons of mine, James and John, your cousins, you know. Well, you mentioned to them about thrones a chapter ago. And, and they're still thinking about that. And here's what they'd like. They'd like to have the highest rank of of all the disciples. They'd like to sit on your right and your left. Now, if you were if you're familiar with royalty, which none of us are, um, maybe somebody is. But in royal circles, the sovereign and his consort, the, the king and queen, sit in the center, and then the um, out from the center, in in descending order, are the most the highest ranked or the most prominent people. So next to the king and queen are the two most prominent or highest ranking officials, and then and it decreases out from the center. And so what they're saying is, my boys want to sit on your right, and can you, can you grant it to them to sit on your right and your left? Can they have the biggest role in, in the kingdom? Can they have the highest rank? Oh, please. Selfish ambition, right? There's a little, you've know, you got to appreciate that they, um, they expected Jesus to have a kingdom, But yet in that, we see this selfish ambition coming out that that all of us have to be careful of, right? I mean, you know, churches can get competitive, and I'm subject to that. I can fall short in that area so easy because we live in a very competitive world. And we, we judge one another. And we, you know, the first thing you want to know when you meet somebody, so what do you do for a living? And in some ways, we're already formulating an opinion about them based on what they do for a living. And if someone has, you know, uh, this wonderful job, oh, it's impressive. You wow, you're, you're, a, you're a prince. Wow, that's pretty impressive, you know. And, but if you're just, you know, some lowly job that the world doesn't appreciate, like pastor or something, it's true. The world don't, doesn't appreciate pastor. Only you guys do, and I appreciate that. But these guys want, they, they, the selfish ambition is what you have to is because Jesus is going to deal with this. And this is, look at Jesus' answer to this question, or to this request, really. Jesus answered and said to them, and James and John are with her, you do not know what you ask. You ever ask for something without really realizing the consequences of getting it? Have you ever, oh, Lord, I mean, I just want to marry that person, you know. Oh, you don't know what you ask. Take time to get to know them first. Or just want that. You know, some of you would say, oh, Lord, only if I could be rich and famous. Do you know what a burden rich and famous is? I mean, imagine being followed around, never having any privacy, never knowing if you can trust anybody because all, all of, everybody's just out to get your money. So we ask for things. I want to marry them or, oh, I hope this works out or I want this job. And, and sometimes we struggle in even asking things of the Lord properly because of two problems we have especially One of those is we're short-sighted, so we can see the pebble going into the pond, but we forget about all the ripples that pebble creates. So we can be very short-sighted in our requests. It looks good now; it seems right now, but what will it bring later? And I remember um, in college dating a girl, and and I thought this was going to be the one, you know. Oh, and I didn't wasn't a Christian at the time, but I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, oh, I i hope that works out oh i want that to work out and looking back on it she would have made a terrible pastor's wife i mean there's a certain kind of woman to be a pastor's wife and and there's a a strength that's necessary to do that it's it can be a tough calling and so the lord knew i was praying for something that seemed good at the time had no idea what the lord wanted for me the other thing is i'm very self-centered i'm short-sighted and i'm self-centered And oftentimes, the things I ask for are things that just make me feel good right now. Uh, And so, what I've started to do more and more in my life is, Lord, I have no idea what's best. You know, when it comes to a place to meet, you know, for Sunday morning, Lord, I don't know where where it's going to be best. Can you, we're asking you, Lord, can you show us the place? Lord, I don't know who I should marry. I don't know what my future holds. Can you bring, can you select a wife or a husband for me? Can you help me to see and to know that that's the one? And help me to be open, Lord, to you saying that's not the one. So um, he's, the, the Jews, they asked for meat. You remember that? Remember they asked for meat? Oh, Lord, we want meat. They had manna, which was filling. And it was nutritious. And he gave them all that. But that wasn't enough. They said, Lord, we want meat. And what did he do? He gave them what they asked for. Now, I, uh, you can write this down in your margin. Don't, don't look it up now. But I wrote this down, Psalm 106, because sometimes we request things. We beg, oh, God, if only you would do this, then I'll really study my Bible, I promise. And we, we make these deals with God. And, and so sometimes God gives you what you ask him for. And this is what he says, Psalm 106 says uh, about that time when he gave them meat. They, many of them died, and they were, they were in a place called the Graves of Craving. The Graves of Craving, Kidrath Hata Ava. And, it, and this is what's said about that. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. We, all, we are often guilty of that. We rush in, we don't wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. He gave them what they asked for, but sent leanness to their soul. So these guys uh, say, hey, we want to sit your right, sit on your left. Jesus says, "You don't know what you ask for. Here's why. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with." Now what is he talking about? cups and drinking and, you know, a baptism? Uh, what is this all about? These are uh, figures of speech. This is language that is cr- communicating a picture. First, he says, are you, uh, will, you will in, uh, or, excuse me, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink?" Um, if you were a king, you had a cup bearer and the cup bearer would test your drink before you drank it because people were always trying to kill you if you were a king. I mean, the old Testament is, is uh, full of that. You know, if you were a king, then there were, you were always under the gun. And so you had a cup bearer because just in case one of your servants tried to poison you, the cup bearer would drink it. And if he died, you knew not to drink it. And if you, and if he lived, if you lived, then, then he could drink the cup. And so that's the image that's being pictured here of this. Uh, to drink the cup meant to share in the consequences of whatever was in that cup. And when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed, Father, take this cup. If there's any other way, Lord, take this cup from me. And the cup that's being spoken of is, is throughout the Old Testament, the cup of God's judgment. And he says to them, look, are you able to drink I, the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to partake to, of the consequences of what you ask for? Or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And baptism just simply means to be immersed. Jesus was going to be immersed in suffering. Not just splash around in the kiddie pool. He was going to be immersed in suffering. And he says, do you guys know what you're asking? I am going to suffer I'm going to endure the cross before there are any thrones and crowns. Can you endure that? Can you handle I'm going to drink the cup of God's judgment on mankind. Can you drink that? And they said to him, yeah, sure, why not? We're able. Oh, come on. I mean, again, sure, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They would get it, but they weren't getting it here. And sometimes, again, we laugh at them, but they're no different than us, are they? Have you ever overestimated your own strength? you ever over, overestimated your own ability? You're looking at what someone else is going through and you're going, if I was doing that, I would be doing this. This is how I would handle that. And you know you're an expert in how someone else should go through their time of trial. And I would say that, that maybe you're overestimating your strength. You never know until you're tested in that way what you'll truly, truly do. And oftentimes we are, we, our pride gets so in the way that we feel that we're stronger than we are. And they felt like, now, now maybe this was uh, bold. Maybe this was noble. They say, yes, Jesus, wherever you go, we are able. And, and of course, he said to them, verse 23, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. So ultimately, in one sense, they're right. They, they are going to be able to, to drink that cup. But in one sense, they're wrong. Because at the crucifixion, they scatter. John is the only one that stays there during the crucifixion everybody else scatters james scatters uh... they they all scatter john sticks around during the crucifixion james and john ultimately will on the other side of the cross on the other side of the resurrection they will drink the cup of the sufferings james will be the first martyr this is not james the writer of the book of james this is um, A different James, James the brother of John. He'll become the first martyr in the book of Acts of the the disciples. And John, of course, will be boiled in oil. Tried to kill him that way. He didn't die. That's that's a tough man right there. And so they exiled him to Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Um, And all that, why? Because they were Christians. So ultimately, because of being connected to Christ, we drink that same cup. Now, I'm personally thankful for the cup we drink at communion, the cup of Christ that we share, the cup of his blood, the cup of uh, grace. That's another cup we get to share with Christ. But there is that cup of suffering that oftentimes we have to share by being connected to Christ. We drink that cup with him. But he says, to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. This is not something that is uh, given away uh, by me. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. It's already being prepared. And, and there's people, and who is it going to be? Who, who will it be in the kingdom, on the right, on the left of Jesus? Who will it be? Will it be the Apostle Paul? Will it be uh, Peter? Who will be there? I don't know who it is. You don't know who it is. But I'll tell you the quality of those people on the right and the left is not those who ambitiously went after it that's not the issue and this is what jesus is going to teach them it will be those that served sacrificially that's who'll be there because the ultimate servant is seated right in the middle so verse 24 when the 10 heard it you know there was these two james and john politicking electioneering to get this spot and the 10 heard it they were greatly displeased with the two brothers why they were mad because they didn't think of it first that's why they were mad. They almost uh, you know, honed their way into these seats and oh, they were going to try to one-up us. Why didn't we think of that? This was their whole concern, folks. They were indignant. So Jesus steps in uh, like a good parent would and, and, and teaches. This is, a, this is what we call a teachable moment. And he says to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. He says, hey, you guys know this is true. In the, in the uh, Gentile world, in the, in the world we live in, the rulers are, are dominating, are hard on their subjects. Especially if you go back historically. I mean, we live in this wonderful democracy. But if you go back historically to monarchies, I mean, the kings were harsh people. They were brutal. They exacted taxes, and they were hard on people. And, and even today, if you look around the world to, at some of the other world leaders, I mean, it's, you don't dare say anything against the government because you disappear. And they, Lord, they demand to be heard, and they demand control over people. And that this is the thing that this is worldly leadership. I uh, was talking to someone uh, about Steve Jobs recently and the kind of leader he was and the way he demanded things. From the people that served at apple and he got a lot accomplished But but his reputation was interesting when it comes to the people that worked for him because he was very sometimes demeaning toward them And unhard on them and that's the world's way, isn't it? And so they says, you know how this is how it is the rulers of the gentiles They lord their heart on they exercise authority over and we have to be careful that we can become like that, can't we? Be demanding, you know, guys at home, you know, we say, Oh, I'm the king of my household. Well, and you can demand service from your family. You know, where's my this and where everybody should be. When I say jump, you should say how high. Is that how you are, dad, husband? Is that how I am? I hope not. Is that how we are? Are we, does church become like that where everybody's trying to make sure that their will gets done? And I gotta, I gotta make sure other people listen to me. He says, that's how the world does it, but yet, verse 26, is, it shall not be so among you. Folks, this morning, yeah. let it not be so among us that we are ones that uh, that wonder, you know, what are people doing for me? That's what a, a a ruler like that, a worldly ruler says, what can you do for me? What's in it for me? And sometimes we treat church that way, don't we? We come in, nobody greeted me. Oh, wait! we didn't know we were supposed to serve you, you know. That's that, that Lord, you know, hey, me, it's all about me, right, and what I can get out of it. And I usually ask the question, well, who did you greet? Oh, well, I don't want to talk about that, you know. Nobody, you know, and look, please, we have a heart of hospitality and a desire to serve Well, let's read on and we'll talk about this a little more. Yet, it shall not be so among you. We're not going to operate the same way. So how will we operate then? Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That is absolutely backwards from the world, isn't it? In the world people that want to be great. I mean, if you wanted to sit on a throne... See, he's speaking to James, John, and the other guys all about wanting to sit and and, uh, vying for position. And he's speaking to them. He's saying, look, if you guys want to be great, if, if that's what you want, then here's how to do it. you got to be a slave. you got to be a servant. That's what's important in the kingdom. When you think about in God's kingdom, the people that are raised to positions of authority... In the kingdom are going to be those that were slaves. that were And a slave, to be a slave in the mindset of even our day and of this day was humiliating. It was a, a vice. It was not something to be sought after. So this, I don't know that we get the full power of what's being said here. This is completely radical. Now what I love about this, you know, if you want to be the President of the United States... That's going to cost a lot of money. You've got to know the right people. You've got to go to the right places. You've got to be in the right circles. But if you want to be a servant, anyone can do it. Isn't that great? You don't need a college education or a master's degree or a Ph.D. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a million dollars in the bank. You don't need to go to the right schools or know the right people. Anyone can be a servant. And that's just literally the word uh, sometimes translated from ser- servant is also minister. Because some people say, well, I, I want to be a minister. Okay, here's the mop. Go to it. Minister away. You know, what, is, what are the arguments always about in the church? Well, who gets to, who gets to be in charge? I mean, that's the argument. Who's the leader? Who wants to lead the committee? Who can be in charge of that thing? We don't find people arguing, no, it's my mop. No, give me the mop. I want to do that job. You know, let me clean the toilets. We don't argue about those things. There's no, so that's what I love about being a servant. And the other cool thing about being a servant is, and, and not just serving, but being a servant is like, there's no pressure when you're in leadership. There's like all this pressure, you know, cause uh, what you strive to obtain, you have to strive to maintain, you know, you build a company and then you've got to keep it going and then you got to worry about profits and you got to worry about product and there's a lot of pressure, but man, being a servant is like so freeing. And here's what I've discovered about being a servant, about being a slave, just personally as I reflect on these things in my own life. The greatest joy, the greatest happiness for a servant is when his master is pleased. That's what makes him happy. That's what makes him fulfilled. Not having that throne, not having that place, not being in the lead. Just think of, put yourself in the, in the shoes of a servant in a, in a household. And this, you know that that servant Or that 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 master loves it when when something, you know, loves a certain kind of flower. And so you go out of your way as that servant to go and get that kind of flower, and you bring it in, and you put it in a vase, and you put it there. And the master comes in, and he goes, wow, you you did, that's awesome. And it's just something inside of you that goes, yes, that's what I want to please. And that's what Paul said, we make it our aim, whether in the body or out of the body, to be well-pleasing to him. That's what servants do. They look to please others. And I don't mean in the negative sense of people pleasing, But that's because that's self-centered service. Self-centered service is when you do for others so that they go, attaboy. So that they like you. Or that they want to hang out with you. That's self-centered service, that doesn't count. The service we're talking about is when you come, to, when you show up at church, and as you come, your mindset is, how can I bless people here today? Not, how am I going to be blessed today? But how can I bless other people? When I, counter, when I interact with people, how can I be a blessing? How can, how can I serve you is the word of a servant. Right? A slave is literally a slave. Now, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Remember Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first last. Do you think they're trying? He's still making that point. Those that have had high positions and selfish ambitions in this world, even in church, will find themselves lower on the totem pole. Those that had no personal desires of their own. Those that were devoid of any uh, selfish ambitions in the church. Those that just said, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to serve the body of Christ. I'm going to do what's needed with no expectations of personal glory. Those are the ones that are going to be on the throne. Matter of fact... Did Jesus ever ask us to do something he himself did not do? You know, some people in leadership are like that. They, they want you to do it, but, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Parents, we can be like that too. And so, hey, do as I say. But Jesus never did anything, never asked us to do anything he didn't do himself. Verse 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, just as, did you see those two words, just as? Here's what Jesus is saying, you guys do it just as I do it. Just as I have done it. And he gave us the best picture. Because what king, I mean, think about this, what king comes To serve. I mean, a king travels around with a huge entourage and there's all these attendants and all these people that he doesn't even drive his own car, doesn't drive his own vehicle, he doesn't get his own food. Everybody serves the king. And here the king of kings, the lord of lords, says he came not to be served. He didn't come to earth to get from you guys. He came to serve you. And just before his crucifixion, just before the last supper, he took off his outer garment he girded his waist with, it, waist with it, he knelt down, and he washed the feet of his disciples. And they were like, dude, no, don't do that. I mean, whoa, wait a second, that's a slave's job. And he said, I know. And what I'm doing, you may not understand now, but you will understand. The world just needs more people willing to serve. You know, theres I, I've told the story before, so if you've heard it, I, I beg your pardon for repeating myself, but a girl was filling out an application to go to college, and she had to write an essay on why she thought uh, she should get in. And, you know, you know, you're supposed to write all these essays, how great you are, and all your accolades, and I'm a leader, and I'm in this, and I'm that. And, and she wrote, you know, I, I really, um, I'm not a leader, and I'm, I'm not this, and, you know, I just, so she wrote her essay about that. And she got into the college. They said, you know, this year we have 1,457 leaders coming. They're going to need someone to follow them. And the body of Christ is the same way. I mean, you know, the people that end up in leadership in God's eyes. You know, think about it. God chooses a king for Israel. He finds a shepherd to be king. When when Joseph, I mean, there's a great example. If you want to read a story about, about service, look to the story of Joseph. Who is in great prominence and he gets sold as a slave and he's in Potiphar's house. And what's he doing there? He's serving. And then he ends up in prison because he's lied about. What's he doing there? He's serving. And where does he end up? Second in command. On the right hand of Pharaoh. Where does David end up? As the king. Because he was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. These are the people, the things that God looks for. Not like the world looks. God looks differently at things. So... This is the word. He gave, his, he, he gave his life a ransom for many. He didn't give money. He gave his own life a ransom. And you guys know the word ransom. It's to buy back someone who's in captivity and set them free. You've seen the movies when someone is kidnapped and they, got, they make all the phone calls, meet me at the phone booth and bring unmarked bills in the bag and you know, meet me there. And you trade the money for the, the, the exchange of the person. There's an exchange that takes place. And then the reason that the person is giving the ransom, it's some you know, rich guy and his daughter is taken or his son is taken and because the, they want the money. So they make the exchange, the money for the, the person so that that person can then come home, be free from the captivity and come home. And this is why Jesus came. That's why he can't say no to Jerusalem, to going up there, because he had a job to do. And it was, it was being a ransom. It was his life in exchange for ours why did he do it so we who were captives to Satan to do his will could be set free from that and he gave he didn't give someone else's life for it notice one more thing and then we'll close when Joseph was sold into slavery when Joseph ended up being lied about when Joseph went through all that at the end of his life his life was sort of a ransom for all those other people who were starving because of him Many people lived because of he saved up grain and all those things. But did he do it willingly and knowingly? No, it sort of happened to him. He, was, he went through it properly. He, did, you know, he served all the way through it, but it wasn't his choice. Jesus is doing this all according to his own choice. His life wasn't taken from him. This was not an accident that he just had to, he stumbled into this and he just sucked it up and did it. The Bible says, and he gave it, he gave his life a ransom for many. I thank God for that because, boy, he set me free from some stuff that I was in, some darkness and some things I was involved in. So, um, simple message today, uh, nothing too earth shattering, easier to say, harder to live, isn't it? So maybe today we go home out of this place, Phil's going to come up and, and close us with a song. Um, maybe today we go home and we say, Lord, I have, um, I just been convicted about, you know, in my, in my marriage. These are the kind of verses that, that change a marriage. Because so often in the marriage, it's what can I get from the other person? You know, you're not meeting my needs. You're not meeting my needs. And, or you're not doing. Look, the banner over our home is through love serve one another if everybody becomes a servant then everybody else's needs get met right because someone else is serving you you're serving someone someone else is serving you look because you guys are here and your kids are there because someone else has chosen to serve you and you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in because someone has chosen to serve you and if you then go and, and you see a need and you choose to serve, the body of Christ works wonderfully, beautifully, and no one cares who gets the credit. And no one cares who's in charge. We're like ants. We're all busy doing stuff, and no one knows who's in charge around this place. I still don't know who's in charge. I mean, it ain't me. Stuff happens around here, and I don't know how it happens. The Spirit of God is in charge. Your marriage, your, you know, Kids and parents, through love, serve one another. In our consumer society, we've been taught that we're to be served. And our kids have learned that. And I'm saying to the youth that are in here, to the kids that are in here, this is a word for you too. It's not a different Jesus. You know, Todd always says there's not a youth edition of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Through love, serve one another. Husbands, through love, serve your wife. Wife, through love, serve your husband. Kids, through love, serve your parents. Parents, you can thank me later. (laughs) Sorry. Parents, through love, serve your kids. Amen? It's a good word, isn't it? Let's uh, just sit. Phil's going to close us with a song. Uh, We'll sit and then maybe um, we'll stand just before we leave.